0: First of all, I'd like to say, Pastor Paul, I certainly do appreciate the opportunity and uh, entrusting me with, uh, with this great opportunity uh, to present the gospel um, at this church. Um, I don't take it lightly. Anytime that God gives me an opportunity to present the gospel, I don't take it lightly. Any opportunity that I get to stand in front of people, my main goal is for you not to see who I am, but that you would see the Christ that lives inside of me and the change that he has made in me. And by no means are you looking at a, a perfect individual. None of us are. And uh, I can be like Paul. I, I, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Um, but I'm glad that I serve a perfect God. And I'm glad that we have an opportunity to, to present the gospel with you tonight, I really want to just give you uh, a little bit about me, a little bit of my testimony, tell you a little bit about who I am. Of course, uh, Pastor Paul said um, that you know i 've been singing my whole life i 've been in music ministry my entire life. My grandfather was the pastor of my home church uh, for forty five years. Um, my dad is the music director uh, at that church still to this day. Uh, he's a deacon at that church uh, to this day. Uh, actually, I know J.T. Mahaffey from, I've known him my entire life. Uh, he played the piano at my church when I was a kid, and uh, we, we go way back. And uh, that scares me because he's got a lot of stories that he can tell about me. <clears throat> so uh, I'll leave those out and allow him to tell those stories to you if you, uh, you want to listen to him. I'll just tell you this: everything that he says to you about me is a lie. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, we we certainly uh, certainly do appreciate the opportunity. But uh, I've been singing my whole life. Like I said, uh, we did our first recording when I was nine years old uh, in the studio. Been in the studio in and out uh, since I was nine years old. Ate me sing when I was younger. Uh, and uh, I would do one song on every CD, and my dad would give me a microphone. We'd go from church to church to sing. He'd give me a microphone. He'd say, now it's time for my son. He'd introduce me. I would grab the microphone. I'd hold it like this. I'd get done singing my song. I would not look at anybody. I'd give him the microphone, and I'd walk off the stage. And um, yes, believe it or not, honey, I used to be shy. There was a point in my life when I was shy, and uh, so uh, but at the age of sixteen, something kind of just snapped with me, and uh, I began to really fall in love with singing. Uh, I wanted to do it more, I wanted to be involved with it more. I, I started singing a whole lot. Uh, More with my family. I began to really uh, enjoy it. But music's always been a part of my life. I just enjoyed playing it more than I enjoyed singing it growing up. I played the piano, the drums, the bass. I play a little bit of guitar. Uh, Music is just a a part of who I am. And I believe I'm giving that to my son. He loves music too. Um, And his wife is, uh, his wife, his mother is very talented as well. She, uh, she, Sang in the choir uh, at Victory, the youth choir and the adult choir, and she has helped me in the ministries that I've been involved in, uh, singing in the choirs as well, and uh, and helping me in that way. Um, I answered the call, as he said, at the age of seventeen to preach uh, or to the full time ministry, and uh, I went to Bible College at Victory Baptist Bible College in. Uh, North Augusta, South Carolina. I started there in 2006 and graduated in 2010. In the first month that I was there, I met the most beautiful red-headed girl I'd ever seen in my entire life. She was just, she could be standing in front of a sea of 20,000 people and I could pick her out. Out of all of them. I said, that woman right there is gorgeous. And somehow, I got her to say that she liked me too. <laughs> Short, fat, going bald and all. She likes me anyway. I don't know. I, I don't know what in the world she ever saw in me. But I'm glad if somebody put something in her drink or I don't know. But she said she liked me. And she said yes at the altar. That's, all, that's, a, that's a contract with God right there. Yeah. I, uh, I asked her to marry me in 2007. We got married September the 8th of 2007. Now, y'all just go ahead and do those numbers right there. My wife did that on purpose because she's a genius. Nine, eight, seven, so I can remember my anniversary. My wife is a genius. I am not. My wife is a science teacher. My wife is a Spanish teacher, and um, she tries her best to not make me look dumb on a normal basis, but she does anyway, because she starts talking those big science terms. She starts talking those Spanish words, and I don't know what she's talking about, so I just smile and nod and act like I understand what she's talking about. Any other men feel that way around your wife? (laughs) I, I knew I wouldn't get a testimony there. You'd have to admit that to your wife. But uh, I met her, we, we got married in, in uh, 2007. <clears throat> and uh, it was shortly after that, I was still in Bible college. I started in 2006, got married in 2007. But in 2008, me and my wife had, had probably our first real uh, marital spat, if you would. Y- y'all, y'all can remember what it's like to have that real first fight you know and I was frustrated I looked at her and said you know what let's just sell this house and pack up and quit Bible college I'm done with it that's the last thing I said to my wife on my way out the door on a Tuesday evening to go to Bible college I sat on the front row And the Holy Spirit came and sat down beside me. He said, Ben, you've sung about me. You've taught about me. You've preached about me. And you know my word up one side and down the other. You know how to put your shirt and tie on. You know how to shine your shoes. You know how to comb your hair the right way. You know how to shake hands with the deacons. You know how to fellowship with the brethren. You know all about me, but you do not know me. You know my name and you know my fame, but you have never once had a personal encounter with me. I realized sitting in Bible college, that I was as lost as a drunk on the street. And God said, you need a life-changing experience. You need a heart salvation, not a head knowledge of me. And I kind of had an inward argument with the Lord, and I'm sitting here thinking, Lord, how embarrassing is it going to be for me to march myself down that aisle and ask Jesus into my heart when I just preached about him last night in front of all my peers and I felt this was what God said to me. You can die with your pride and go to hell or you can embarrass yourself and go to heaven. May I tell you something tonight? Pride will take you to hell. It doesn't matter how many times you have warmed a church pew it will never write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It will never save your soul. And you could be a hundred years old and never missed a church service and die without God. There's a difference between Knowing who he is. And having him as my savior. My preach began to change. My sing began to change. Because the songs that I once sung about him. I had experienced in my own heart and in my own life. Can I just say I'm so glad tonight to know that I'm saved by the grace of God, aren't you? Saved by grace. A moment I'll never forget. So that was February 26, 2008, about 745 at Victory Baptist Bible College. You know what happened? The man that I was sitting beside was struggling with the same thing. Got saved the same night. He said, I was asking God, God, am I really not saved? Give me a sign. Give me me something that's solid, that, that reveals to me that I need salvation. He said, and when you stood up, it was just God saying, you see? What if I would have said no? It's not just me. It could have been him too. Every decision you make in your life will not only affect you, it affects everybody around you. I've had to learn from hard experience that the things that I do and the choices that I make affect those that love me. My wife, my son, And I have to live so carefully because I love her and I love my son more than anything in this world. And I'd do anything for them. And the last thing I want to do is to let them down. I'm not perfect I never will be until I get my glorified body. Until I'm in my eternal home. But that is a drive for me. Knowing that when I finally realized in my life that the choices I make are not just about me. that affects those around me. <clears throat> I graduated in 2010. I started my first Uh, ministry as a part-time music minister in 2010 at Bethany Baptist Church. And um, it was around that time in my life that I really began to realize what my life verse was. And it's a very common verse and everybody here could probably quote this verse, but Philippians 4.13 would have to be The verse that just, out of all 66 books in the Bible, it's all good. But the one that just sticks out to me as this is the stamp on my life is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Not through my own strength, not by my own power, not by my own might but by Christ, through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I can through him. Him through me. Him, him putting his power in me is what can get me through the hardest of times. I've lived it, I've seen it, and I know it. I'd like to share with you some moments in my life Where I felt the strength of God in me. And it was not by my power that got me through. You see, it's that verse. If it was only my strength that I was living by, I would have never made it through it. If I didn't have the strength of God, if I didn't have the strength of Christ in me, I would have never made it through these instances in my life. I love my wife with all of my heart, but her strength couldn't have got me through. I love my my mother and my father with all my heart, but their love and their strength could not have gotten me through this. There is one being in the universe that can get you through the toughest of times, and that one being is Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the world but I'm glad to know that he's not just a savior. He is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and he can do what nobody else can do and he's got more power in his little pinky nail than we've got in our entire body and he can do greater things than we could even imagine. The Bible says that he speaks the worlds into existence that's just his his words are that powerful but it says that he holds us in his hands if his voice is that powerful how powerful are his hands I was part time I was driving an hour one way to to the church that I was uh, working at My wife called me. I'll never forget this. I was at work. I was working in construction. I was a college student full time. I'm digging in the ground, putting in a ground rod. My cell phone rings, I answer the phone. It's my wife. She says, I'm pregnant. And I said, I'm broke. I was a college student working in construction. And this was before Obama made me have insurance and made me pay for everybody else who couldn't afford insurance to have insurance. <clears throat> that's my political quote for the night. I don't know if you voted for him. It's, that's your prerogative. God help you. Um, but I didn't have insurance. We didn't have insurance. I thought, God, what are we going to do? But the more I thought about it, the more excited I got. And I'll never forget the, when I went into the doctor and heard that heartbeat. Y'all remember the first time you heard the heartbeat of your child? How many, come on, let's get a testimony. How many of y'all remember that moment when you heard that heartbeat? That wuk whoosh, wuk It doesn't sound like a heartbeat, but, I mean, you know, that's what it is. That little thing that they put on you. And you wuk I was like, man, that's awesome. But more than that heartbeat, I'll never forget the last doctor visit that we went on. Sat down in his office and he looked me square in my eyeballs and said, it's not good. Looked at my wife and said, it's not good. My wife had miscarried our first baby. There's no, no words to describe that. You, several of you in here have probably gone through that or have family members who've gone through that. But men, may I just say to you, there is no words that we can say to our wife in a moment like that because we don't know the feeling of that separation that they have. That's something that a, a woman can only experience. I can only try to be sympathetic and empathetic with her. Now, it's my child too, but there is a connection that a mother has with her child that a father will never have. And it was one of the hardest moments in my life. And I I went home and I thought, God, this has got to be the lowest point that I could ever be at. And a couple of it was about a year later i guess my wife called me again we we she had gotten pregnant again i left her it was actually at her she was at her mom's house that night it was on a saturday night she began to get sick wasn't feeling well i was driving an hour to the church that we were ministering at and i left her at her mother's house and i had to go to church knowing that my wife was going through our second miscarriage she knew it in her heart I knew it in my heart that that's what's going on I'm driving an hour by myself saying God how in the world am I going to minister to somebody today when I need it God said you just got to do it can I tell you this It was in that first doctor's office where God said, It's my strength that's getting you through this, not yours. It was in that car on the way to Barnwell, South Carolina, where God said, You're living in my strength right now, son, not your own. I can do all things. I can get through all things. I can see anything because there is one living in me who is strong enough to bear anything. For those of you who, who, who take that verse in the Bible where it says that, that the Lord won't put anything more on you than, than you can bear, God will put something on you that's more than you can bear. He'll never put on, on you anything more than he can bear. we got to look at it that way. I can't bear it in my own strength, but in his strength I can. My wife was sitting at home. I went and I, I did that. We went to the doctor's office and we had, uh, that, that Monday we found out that she had, uh, in fact, miscarried our second child. And I, it, was just, it was just those moments where you just go, man, I just want to be done with this, you know? But we, we did some blood tests that time, found out that my wife, her body wasn't producing enough hormones and things like that. So they said that if she got pregnant again, she needed to take medication that would help to prevent that. And, and so when she got pregnant again, we did, and, and everything went good with, uh, with the pregnancy. There, was, there were some issues within the pregnancy itself, but uh, all in all, everything was going really well uh, until about 30 weeks into the pregnancy my, uh, the doctor told my wife, said, There's evidence in you that, that lets me know that the baby's going to come early. You need to get, be on partial bed rest. And um, so she could be up on her feet, but needed to be, you know, restful as she possibly could be. And um, so that was on, I think, a Tuesday morning, I think by that evening or whatever. He said, uh, That what we need to do is we need to give you shots that will help the baby's lungs to develop should it come extremely early. Um, My mother-in-law is here tonight, and she knows what those shots are for and what they do. I don't know anything. All I know is that they are the miracle shots that help the lungs develop. That's all I know. She was supposed to get two of them, one on Tuesday and then another 24 hours had to go completely by before she could get another one. So nine o'clock in the morning on Tuesday, she's supposed to get one. Nine o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, she's supposed to get one. Am I right on that? I'm right on that, right? My wife's looking at me like, you're wrong. No, was, I'm, I'm pretty right on that, I'm pretty sure. I was at work, it was on a Tuesday. I was at work, it was uh, July 24th, of 2012. I was at work and my wife texted me, said, you know, where you at? And it was about 10.30 at night. I'm leaving work. Everything okay. And she said, well, I haven't felt Jackson move since about 7 o'clock uh, this evening. So I jumped in my, my pilot, and I drove that thing like I was a pilot. And I'm so lucky that I did not get a ticket on the way home uh, if a cop would have tried to stop me, I probably wouldn't have stopped, and then I would have been involved in a high-speed chase and all that. So I, I drove as fast as I could, and I am, I mean, I, I'm saying, God, you have got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. I mean, how much more do you want me to go through for me to, for me to give in? What do you want? Do you want me to give up? Do you want me to give in? Do you want me to throw in the towel? The videos we watched this morning. Oh, I couldn't help but just the tears just began to flow because he said, after losing a child, is it worth it? And for them to say, my child's life would have been taken in vain if we were to give up now. What? a testimony and so I got home I got my wife I threw her in the car forced her in the car took her to the hospital we got there finally we got to the to the emergency room it felt like it was 10 year walk from the car to the emergency room to finally get to the room where we were going to figure out what's going on and if you're ever in that moment you know what I'm talking about it just feels like time has stood still and you are like creeping. You ever had those dreams where you feel like you're running, but like you can't run? You ever had that? You, you feel like you want to run really fast, but like you, your legs won't move? That's the way it felt in real life. Like I'm like trying to move fast, but I can't move at all. And like, I mean, it's just like life is standing still. And we finally got there. They got that little waka waka thing on our stomach. And I heard that heartbeat, it was just like the whole world was like, oh, he's okay. So he's all right, but there's still a problem. He's not moving. So we got to put you into a hospital room and try to figure out what's going on. So they admitted my wife into a hospital room. My mother-in-law, who is here tonight, is a, a nurse, she worked on the labor and delivery floor that we were actually on. She knew all these nurses that were coming to the room. She, she worked in this area. And um, she knew all of the, the issues that were going on in my wife's body at the moment. And she was terrified within herself, but she came, re- remained calm for my sake because I am nervous. Always nervous. And she knew that if she were to get nervous. That I would have a heart attack. And I would be on the whatever floor the heart patients are on. And she probably spared my life that night. And so she is remaining as calm as she can. It wasn't until Jackson was probably two or three years old. That she shared with me how concerned she was that night. And so... We're sitting here. He's not moving at all. They don't know why. And his heart rate would plummet to like below 60. And they would have to give all these IV drips and things like that. And so long story short, um, the doctor came in the next morning and found out that his umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck twice, around his arm once and around his foot once. My son was an acrobat. He was flipping and he was spinning and he got himself stuck in his own umbilical cord. And so every time he'd move, it would restrict the blood from flowing and it would make his heart slow down. And um, so the doctor said, if this continues to happen, we're going to have to take him. At four, what? Four what in the afternoon? Huh? 4.25. 421, they take my wife into the, um, the operating room. If you've never been into an operating room, there's all kinds of sounds going on. Beeping noises, alarms, and all these sounds. And I'm just in it. I told you, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm the nervous guy. They take me in here, and my wife is now been prepped and sliced open. And I'm hearing deep, 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 beep 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 and I'm terrified. And I've got my mother-in-law standing in the side, real nice and calm, but terrified on the inside. But I'm on the outside, terrified here. Okay, so all this happens. They pull him out, and he is as purple as a plum. I mean, there ain't no breath in his body. The nurse takes him and begins to walk away from us, as to we're gonna have to do some some working on him, but then he starts to cry. She turns around, and she brings him over to me and Cynthia, and we see Jackson Dylan Smith for the very first time July twenty fifth, 2012. He was 10 weeks early. He weighed three pounds, one ounce, I believe, right? Three pounds, one ounce. He was a little bitty thing, 16, I think 16 and a half inches long. It wasn't my strength that got me through the night. It was the strength of Christ in me that got me through that moment. And I thought that that was the scariest moment that I'd ever lived through in my life until Sunday. I walked into the doctor. We went to the NICU. We washed our hands for 20 minutes like the normal uh, Protocol was, was well, washing and washing and washing. The doctor walks over and he says, Jackson's not as well today as he has been in the last several days. We don't know what's the matter with him, but something's wrong. They looked at some x-rays and figured out that he had a hole in his intestine. The doctor looks at me and he says, We don't know the ins and outs, how bad it is. Whether it is going to be detrimental. Whether he will survive or whether he will live. That's the scariest moment in daddy's life. Cynthia, I don't know where he's at, but I want you to go get Jackson for me. Go get Jackson for me. took about an hour, they got my son and they took him to the hospital across the street which is the best children's hospital in the world, as far as I'm concerned, MCG. I was fortunate that God had placed me there so that I could have the kind of care that MCG offered for my son. For those of you who are in the medical field and and, and serve in that way, don't let anybody ever tell you that what you do is not a ministry. Because it is. You have to deal with a lot of families who lose family members. You have to deal with that kind of pressure on a daily basis. I can't only imagine what it's like to to go through that every day. I couldn't do it. My hats off to you. But my my doctor the, the surgeon we sat in the the, the delivery room or the, the delivery room the uh the room where he was going to tell us what he was doing a little meeting room there. We sat at a table and he said this is what's going to happen. We're going to open up your son. We feel like he has a hole in his intestine. We're going to do an exploratory surgery. We're going to find that hole. We're going to cut that portion of his intestines out. We're going to bring his intestines to the surface and let them heal for a couple of months. And then he's going to have to wear an ostomy bag. Then we're going to go back, do another surgery to put his intestines back together. And uh, he said, we could open him up and there's nothing we can do. He said, but I don't feel like that's what's going to happen today. That man knows the Lord. He, he testified of the power of God. He, he testified of, 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 of a personal salvation experience in his life. I know within a shadow of a doubt that that man had experienced God. And there was a peace that came in that room that I can't explain to you. Except through this. It's not my strength, but Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He spent the next eight weeks in the hospital. We had moments like this, up and down and up and down. I would lose it and my wife would be strong. My wife would lose it and I would be strong. We'd have our, our sharing moments if you've ever had a kid in the NICU, you understand that. If you ever had an individual in, in, in a in an uh, ICU or whatever it may be, you understand that there's going to be moments where you're going to be strong. There's going to be moments where you're going to be weak. I know. I can be just like Job. I know my Redeemer liveth. I like the way the songwriter put it. You ask me how, I know He lives. He lives within my heart. And His strength has been evident in my life so many times. Because if I look back on those moments, I think to myself, how in the world would I have ever gotten through if it had not been if it had not been for the grace of God if it had not been for the strength of God four and a half years ago I didn't know four and a half years ago I didn't know if I was going to have him But today, he's got a clean bill of health. And he wants to go back to his class. He's mad at me. Oh, and he lost his shoe. Aren't you glad tonight to know that we have a Savior who cares? And he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's been tempted like us. He's been sad just like us. He's had loss just like us. I can't stand it when somebody says that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus because he had to bring him back. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus because his friends and family were hurting. We have a... (laughs) We have a compassionate Savior. Just like you said this morning, we can love him compassionately with our heart. We can be in love with him. We are his bride. We have that connection with him. He is our our Savior. He is somebody we are in love with. And I'm in love with Jesus tonight. And I don't always serve him the way that I ought to but I'm glad that He never has once failed me. I think it was Craig Edwards that wrote this song. Though I failed the Lord, He has never failed me. He's been everything and more that He said He would be. His promise says he has kept so faithfully. And though I failed the Lord, he has never failed me. What words? We might fail him on a daily basis. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He also said, I'll go with you all the way, even until the end of the world. I'll never leave you. Can I tell you this tonight? I, I said all that just to say this. That's my life verse. Why? Because I've lived it. I can do all things through who? Christ, which strengtheneth me. You can do all things Through Christ, which strengtheneth you. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what you've been touched by. I don't know if it's death, if it's divorce, if it's finances, if it's addictions. I don't know what it is. But if you got chains, he's a chain breaker. (laughs) I like that song. That's a good one. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. He's the best doctor there ever was. He's the great physician. I don't know if it's son or daughter. I got two of them in heaven. But I got a precious one. With a scar right across the top of his belly right here. And every time I give him a bat, I'm looking at the grace of God. Every time I see that scar, it's the evidence of the grace of God. Every time that I look at that little four five six inch, six-inch scar, I say it was God. It was his trick. And I go back, every time that I look at it, I go back to that hospital room. Every time that I see that scar, I go back to that NICU. Every time that I see that scar, I just remember what it's like to be held in the arms of a Savior who loves me so much that he would give himself to die. And I begin to think of just how agonizing it must have been for God the Father to sit in the throne room of the Almighty and to watch as sinful men begin to spit upon and mock and to beat and to pull the beard from his own son's face and they begin to take that cat of nine tails to the point to where it was ripping the flesh off of his bones can you imagine what it must have felt like to be the father as they drove those nails into the wrist of uh, of his darling son into the feet of his darling son and he was in so much pain but he began to lift up on that cross and as he began to lift up the splinters from that old rugged cross we're going into the very flesh of his back and as he lifted up to take a breath he said father forgive them they know not what they do can you imagine what it must have felt like to be the father watching that happen and God began to tell me this I know what it's like To watch your son go through something. But I spared yours. But I gave mine. So that you might live. I don't have to go to hell tonight. Because my Jesus loved me enough to go through that. Greater love hath no man than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. If it's greater love that no man hath than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends, what about those that hate him? Because he's laying down his life for those Roman soldiers out there too. I just feel compelled to do this. Let's bow our heads tonight. I don't know most of you in here. I've met a few of you. I'm brand new. Is there anybody in this room tonight going through something? You say, Ben, I need the strength of God to help me get through this. Would you pray for me? Would anybody lift their hand tonight? Just say, I see one. Who else? I'm going through something. I need the strength. There's one. Who else? There's one. Hands going up all over the auditorium tonight. I just need the strength of God. Let me make a solemn promise to you. You can't get through it on your own, but God will help you get through it. You may not be able to see the end of it right now, but you'll get through it because God is going to take you. He'll never take you to it if he can't see you through it. It may not be the results you want always. But it's always the results that He knows is best for you. If I had never gone through those moments in my life, I would have never realized how much I needed the grace of God. Let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a very present help in the time of trouble. I thank you for my salvation. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my son. I thank you for my church. I thank you for Pastor Paul. I thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in the next couple of weeks. God, don't give me something that that is just gonna be another lesson, but God, give us something that will challenge our hearts, challenge us to change Challenge us to live better, to live closer. God, give us lessons in the next few weeks that will put our life into the light to see the wax. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us. Lord, the hands that went up, God, I pray that you would just, whatever those struggles they're going through, give them that supernatural strength from on high, to get through whatever it is. Lord, even now, bring peace to their hearts. Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you and we praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen. amen.